It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Wednesday, October 18th. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. Alaska's sole representative in the U.S. House, Mary Peltola, is back in Washington, D.C. after a break to mourn the death of her husband. Eugene Buzzy Peltola Jr. died in a plane crash in western Alaska in mid-September. Congresswoman Peltola returned to a House trying to elect a new speaker, and as she cast her vote on Tuesday, members on both sides of the aisle rose to give her a standing ovation. Peltola. Jeffries. Jeffries has voiced support for a bipartisan coalition in the U.S. House, not unlike those seen in the Alaska legislature in recent years. In a statement posted on social media, Peltola said, quote, Bipartisanship is built on trust and empathy. Let's choose both and elect a speaker that's ready to work with everyone. Republicans and Democrats do this in Alaska. We can do it in D.C., end quote. Peltola also acknowledged that the past month has been very difficult, but that she appreciated the support from her colleagues. In cities like Austin, Nashville, and Seattle, music is a key driver of the economy. Alaska isn't a music destination like those places, but a group of independent musicians wants to change that. They launched Alaska's first music census in an effort to get the first real data on the impact of music on the state's economy. KCAW's Meredith Reddick says they hope it sparks a new conversation on how best to support the state's vibrant music scene. Most days during the summer tourist season, John Ingman spends his lunch breaks playing the Illin bagpipes next to a life-size plush bear on Lincoln Street in Sitka. Some days he makes around $35 an hour, and other days not so much. Ingman, who works full-time at University of Alaska Southeast, isn't doing it for the money. This is kind of the first chance I've had to really uh, um, play in front of people. So, And that's, that's really the, the driving force behind me playing just trying to get comfortable playing in front of people. Ingman makes music in Alaska, but his contributions to the economy are undercounted. That's according to the Alaska Independent Musicians Initiative, or Akimi, which organized a music census this year. Marion Call is a Juno-based singer-songwriter and the program director for Akimi. She says traditional metrics don't accurately capture the economic contributions of Alaska's music scene, and without that information, musicians aren't getting the resources they deserve. When musicians do work, very often the only way that that work is measured economically is through the profits of other industries, right? So when musicians fill a bar for the night, that looks like bars and restaurants made money. When musicians play at a wedding reception and are maybe even the most expensive item at the wedding reception, that still looks like the wedding sector. Call, who has worked full-time in music since 2007, asked how to make the Alaska music industry more visible. Mira McLaughlin, the executive director of Music Portland, gave her a simple answer. We need data. McLaughlin, who helped spearhead Oregon's first music census in 2022, says having data about how many people are involved in music and how much money they're earning makes it easier for policymakers to support the industry. She worked with Call to design Alaska's first music census. Music is a little like unset jello. You know, it's it's out there. It's great. We love it. But loving music is different than supporting music. And you don't give policymakers the ability to support if you don't have data to quantify what it is. While the Oregon census focused on commercial music, 
Call wanted Alaska's version to include full-time artists as well as part-time musicians, or even people who just play for fun. The Alaska Census opened in July and ran through September 2nd. The online survey asked musicians how often they play and how much money they make from music. Call says they received over 1,500 responses, including many from remote communities. I think I was prepared for some skepticism or cynicism, but people really seemed to appreciate and understand what we were doing. Call hopes that the final data, which is still being analyzed, will help policymakers understand why and how to support Alaska music, whether that means providing small grants for musicians to tour along the Milk Run route, making sure that large festivals have functioning restrooms, or installing sound systems in a rural school that doubles as a music center. The full data analysis will be released in January at the Alaska Music Summit, a statewide convening of musicians and community supporters. In the meantime, Alaskans like Jody Hassel, a punk rock musician from Fairbanks, will keep making music. Hassel works as an educator and yoga teacher, but playing with her band Three Chord Ho brings her joy she doesn't find elsewhere. There's just a an in-the-moment, present intimacy that doesn't exist in any other realm of my artistry, my teaching, or my life that, that I get in playing music. Hassel says she would love to be a full-time musician if it were financially sustainable. She's hopeful the Alaska Music Census might help chart a path to get her there. In Sitka, I'm Meredith Reddick. It's never been a comfortable relationship between the federal government and the state on the Kuskokwim River. Each shares management of the river, and each has its own priorities. Now that the federal government has filed a lawsuit against the state, it's come to a head. The Alaska Federation of Natives has sided with the federal government, and as KNBA's Rhonda McBride reports, last week a federal judge allowed AFN to intervene in the case. The Kuskokwim River has historically provided a wealth of salmon to communities that hug her shores. Decades ago, her silty waters produced one of the largest king salmon fisheries in the state, enough to have both subsistence and commercial fisheries, as well as an abundance of chum salmon, sockeyes, and silvers. But over the decades, king salmon numbers crashed to a crisis point that restricted and sometimes even closed subsistence harvests. At that point, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service stepped in to enforce a federal rural subsistence priority in the lower stretches of the river, which flow through a federal wildlife refuge. The state continued to manage the fisheries upriver, outside the refuge. But in 2021, the state opened up the whole river to subsistence fishing to all Alaska residents because its managers felt there was a surplus of fish that season. But the federal government filed suit. It argued the state had not only overstepped its bounds, but also failed to manage for a rural subsistence priority, effectively breaking federal law. The Alaska Federation of Natives says it sought to join the federal lawsuit because it believes the state's actions threaten subsistence protections under the Alaska National Interest Lands Conservation Act, or ANILCA. AFN's legal counsel, Nicole Borromeo, says also at stake the landmark Katie John court case, which affirmed a rural priority for subsistence fishing. It does more than challenge Katie John. The state is arguing in no uncertain terms that Katie John is no longer good law. 
Katie John was a Mentasta elder who successfully sued the state to open a portion of the Copper River to subsistence fishing, where her family had fished for generations. It was a legal battle that went on for decades. We fought the battle. We've won the battle. We thought it was a war, but apparently the state has yet decided to mount up again for another legal attack on the rural priority. State Fish and Game Commissioner Doug Vincent Lang says it's the federal government that's picking this fight, not the state, which is simply following its constitutional duty to provide equal access to fish and game. 85% of those king salmon spawn above the refuge. So they're basically managing within the refuge for subsistence priority, but that's impacting our ability to meet escapements in the upper river. The commissioner also says the federal government is infringing on the state's authority over navigable waters. If we didn't respond to this, we would have accepted the fact that the federal government could replace state management, federal management on any waterway in Alaska that touches a federal reserve. And that becomes untenable. AFN agrees with the state on that point that this fight has far-reaching implications that will affect Alaska natives across the state and that the case may eventually have to go all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court to be resolved. The state's been very clear that it will only stop if the U.S. Supreme Court tells them to. So we will need a ruling from the U.S. Supreme Court. I think it needs to be settled. It's an old battle that stems from a problem that's hard to fix. Conflicts in the Alaska Constitution with federal law that can only be resolved through a state constitutional amendment, which remains politically out of reach. In Anchorage, I'm Rhonda McBride. A parcel of land on the banks of a popular Petersburg sport fishing spot is up for auction by the Mental Health Trust Land Office. Blind River Rapids is about 14 miles south of Petersburg. Residents and tourists sport fish for hatchery king and coho salmon there. The piece for sale is directly in front of a garage-sized boulder on the north end of the rapids. Alaska's legislature created the Mental Health Trust Authority to fund mental health care in the state. It does so through sales of land allocated to the trust. The Mental Health Trust land owns five parcels of waterfront property at Blind River Rapids. Petersburg Vice Mayor Bob Lynn says the land should remain public. He is concerned that residents may not be able to continue fishing in the area. I don't see anything in there that preserves uh, access, uh, right-of-way access. Uh, Maybe it's there, but I certainly don't see it from their plat and from the information I have. Officials from the Land Trust Office said they're not sure what access the public would have to the land if it's sold. The rapids themselves are state-owned public lands. The right to fish those waters is guaranteed under the Alaska State Constitution. Most people get to Blind River Rapids via a quarter-mile-long boardwalk from Midkoff Highway. That access won't be affected because it's on U.S. Forest Service land. The land auction for the Rapids parcel closes on November 27th. The starting bid is set at over $100,000. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News.